welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper and high school coach, current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And always, we're blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. And today we have a very special guest, our guy, Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft on Twitter. Recently, here's what's crazy. Omari, I've known Richard for like two and a half years, never met him in person, never got to talk to him. You've known him for, I don't know how long. You guys got to kick it in Chicago this weekend. Or not Summer League, Summer League's coming up. Hopefully we all get to hang out there at the NBA Combine. So I know you guys got to meet Richard, Locked On NBA Big Board, all the things you're doing. Let everybody know and thank you for joining us. Hey, I appreciate y'all having me. Amari, good to see you after, I think, two days of uh, not seeing you. But uh, yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm on Locked On NBA Big Board, MavsDraft.com, MavsDraft on Twitter, um, NBA Draft Film on Instagram. Richard is one of the best NBA draft guys doing it. He's all over the place, all sorts of connections. He's locked in with everything. And so there wasn't a better guy to have join us than Richard. Now that we know Amari, where the Pistons are picking. So let's jump right into it. What do you say, Amari? Should we get right into this? There's a lot of guys we got to talk to. If you are watching right now on YouTube, drop a comment, drop a question, and we will try to get it up here for Richard. We're only taking questions for Richard. You can ask Amari and I questions next episode. If you're watching on Twitter right now, drop a comment in that. Richard, let's start with Cam Whitmore. This is my choice at number five. Amari, is this your guy too? If I mean, I know there's a chance that one of these guys is off the board, but Whitmore is yours as well, right? Yeah, he's my guy as well. But I mean, there's a certain amount of guys in a tier, I would say, of the players in that tier. If you're talking long-term upside, he's probably the pick for me. Let's talk Pistons fans off the ledge a little bit, Richard, dropping from one to five. And let's start positively. Let's say the Pistons were to draft Cam Whitmore. Do you think that would be the right decision? And what are some of the positive things about him? Yeah, I think he's a good swing for the fences uh, upside pick because you look at what a modern wing is and you got the shot creation, the shot making, the defense upside, the length is there, the athleticism, like it's everything you want. There's some downsides. You know, a lot of that right now is theoretical. It's not all practical, which is an issue. Um, the, you know, it's processing speed, decision making. That stuff needs to be improved. Can it be improved? And then defensively, for somebody just as built and, and physical as he is, he's very uh, far away, I think, on the pick and rolls ability right now. Like he, he takes bad routes, he, he gets swallowed in screens. It's kind of weird stuff. So, that's where I would start negatively. I think you actually just asked me to start positively, and I apologize for just completely disobeying those orders. <laughs> no, there no orders. You do your thing, man. You're the guest, so you you talk about whatever you want. Well, I, I like him. I like him there, though, because, I mean, you got a spot-up shooter. At worst, he's like a more athletic – I mean, it's a lame comparison as we went to the same school, but you may fill that Sadiq Bay role, right, like a more athletic version. We talk about – Cam and, and just the upside that he has. But when you look at just his athletic package, is there a player he reminds you of and what kind of separates him from your usual athletic six seven guy? Yeah, there's a couple guys where I wrote down like similarities to. One of them is a prospect from last year where you look at this guy took a jump. He took a jump last year, I think, as a sophomore as a playmaker, and that was Benedict Matherin. But there's some similarities. Shoot, athlete, athletic, uh, can defend passing is a growing skill. That was something that I think took a big jump freshman to sophomore year. And Cam Whitmore, I think, is younger than uh, Benedict Matherin was as a freshman. And then also two guys are James Posey and Jason Richardson. I love Jay Rich growing up. So there's like some similarities there. You brought up the passing, Richard. How bad is it, I guess? Because I feel like any Pistons fan who is putting Amin or Jairus or these other guys we're going to talk about above Cam, and it's understandable, right? These guys are similar tiers regardless. Everybody kind of has their favorite. But the, the thing that somebody will go at Cam Whitmore for is the passing, the assist percentage, all of that stuff. I want to watch some film this week to see if he's a slow processor or if it just wasn't real creation. You've probably already watched enough to give me the answer. Is it that bad? I, I think it's rough. He it takes a while to to realize what's in front of him, whether it's as a passer or even just to see an open shot. Um, there's that, and then also you know some of the Villanova stuff wasn't friendly for him. Where new system, new coach, everything like that. I think he was kind of a victim of that. But 
I think ultimately he's just got to figure it out. Like maybe it's more refs. I mean, he's still 18. So like it's fixable. When you see players like Cam who just have really, really low assist rates, I think he averaged 0.7 assists against like over a ton over a game. So obviously not great. Uh, how much of that do you think could, could just be scheme? I know Villanova has a whole a, a transitionary year for them. Uh, but how much of that is innate as well? And does that kind of knock a guy down a, a tier when you see that level of maybe just being slow to react to certain things? Yeah, I mean, he. I don't think really anybody on Villanova had a strong passing season. So like, that is something to consider. And also there's really no like dominant point guard. Like every year they have a, you know, Gillespie, they have a, a Archie Diacono, they have one of those guys, a Brunson, something like that. This year there was absolute no stability at point guard. And, you know, maybe having him next to an NBA point guard will make it a little bit easier as a processor and passer. Before we move to the next guy, I want to ask about the defense because I'm actually somewhat intrigued by the defense. I think there's a chance for him to be good. I read a tweet literally before we came on that was crushing his defense, uh, specifically off the ball, about how bad he was off the ball. You mentioned kind of di- – I do think one thing he's going to struggle with, Richard, because of his frame, like you love what he looks like, but that's not always the perfect body to navigate screens on and off the ball. But I think he has some upside, at least as an on-ball defender, the athleticism for rim protection, just defensive playmaking in general. Am I way off here thinking and, and being positive about that? I mean, the tools are there. It's just, again, it's like going to be, is it theoretical or is it actual? Because like he shouldn't be getting swallowed in screens. Like That's the thing that scares me. It's like, I think one-on-one he's fine, but in the pick and roll, which is the most commonly run play in the league, you got to be able to adapt quickly. And again, he's 18. So like, I'm willing to forgive that, but I, I really think he's got physical tools to be really good on that end, like a very plus defender. But I mean, if you can't defend the pick and roll, that's going to be negated quickly. Can you buy into him at all in that four or five range or is I go back and forth because I think the upside is like top five. Cause again, if you get a wing that can defend, shoot, create for himself and score at all three levels, like that's a star in this league, a two-way wing pretty much. At the same time, there are risks. I really do think the passing concerns, like it's really hard to overcome that. Just looking at guys with similar numbers statistically, they just don't overcome it. And it's just bad company, so that does worry me. But at the same time, Detroit's kind of in that area where they lost in the lottery and they need to win somewhere else. And that's a good chance to, that's the swing you have to take as a franchise. Okay, so that's a good just general question. And I know we just jumped into prospects, but where do you think the Pistons are? So, Obviously, everybody was like Wimby. And then there was the debate about Scoot, Brandon Miller. All, all that stuff's out the window now. Like, it doesn't even matter. But since they dropped to five, Richard, considering Cade and Ivy and what you think about them, Jalen Duran, do you think the Pistons are in swing for the fences at five, The literally the highest upside guy that has any sort of chance of reaching it? Or would you be a little bit more safe, just take a guy that's going to contribute, you just can't absolutely swing and miss on this pick? A little bit of both. I mean, I don't think you could take, like, I remember back before the lottery, like, you know, what if they fell the two, right? I still think they should have taken Scoot. So, like, I'm going to be a hypocrite here. There's limits to it, though. Like, I think if the talent's just that good, like someone like Amen or uh, Scoot, you have to take, obviously. And Detroit could still trade up. Like, that's, at this moment, still a possibility. But if... I just don't think there's enough guards, luckily, for them that could interfere. I think anything other than guards, I don't care who it is, you got to take the best available player. I think that point, it's very simple because Jalen Duran's really good. I think we all, I think anybody who's watched a Pistons game over the last year sees that it's pretty easy to spot. But can he, and he's also, he was the youngest player, but can you get somebody who can compliment him as, you know, while being a great talent next to him? And even if there's overlap, and can you find ways to split those overlaps up? And I, I think it's pretty easy to work around. So for our next uh, prospect, you actually kind of transitioned this because you mentioned Ahmed and, and Scoot uh, next to each other. Uh, where's Ahmed on your on your draft board right now? I've got him fourth. I think he's interesting to me because I'm not huge on his brother. Um, but Ahmed, I, I love his point guard abilities. He's, he's super athletic and he uses it so well. He sees the floor very well. He's a good enough defender. He's not like a – hard to say how that would translate from OTE. He's not his brother on defense. His brother's like the best defender in the class. Um, the jump shot is very far away. Everyone's going to go under screens. But you look at just a, a pure pick-and-roll guard, like I, I think he's going to enter the league as one of the smartest and most intelligent 
ball handlers in the league right away. Is there any way a man falls past the Rockets at four? Because if you have a mayor, I, I, I'm interested. I know this is the Pistons podcast. I think that's a match made in heaven. I mean, if I'm the Rockets, I'm taking a man, I'm putting the ball in his hands, and I just have the most elite athletic backcourt elite athletic, not elite in talent-wise, elite athleticism in the league between him and Jalen Green. Is there any way he falls below four? You know, unless Houston, I I don't even know the right term. Houston would have to really big brain it, I think, because like, unless they get some bad intel too, like it's hard to say that stuff never gets released to the public really. I mean, unless it gets uh, accidentally leaked, I guess is the right word. You know, it's hard to say. I Every bit of intel I've heard, I asked a ton of people in Chicago and Amari, I imagine the same thing. Like, I, I haven't heard anything about the Thompson Twins as people. Like, hard workers, they love the game. Like, they're addicted to basketball kind of stuff. So for me, I just, I, I don't think Houston lets him go considering they need a point guard. And my God, they have the most explosive backcourt since... Is it hyperbole though? Either one of you. I mean, Jalen I mean, Green was an elite athlete and everybody says, no matter whether you like a man or not, guys, everybody says he's a 1%, 0.1% athlete from day one in the NBA. That's not hyperbole. It would, it would be one of the most dynamic backports in terms of athleticism we've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, and with ball skills too, because a lot of these top athletes, like they're athletes, like they, they catch the ball and they dunk and that's it. Like we've seen plenty of those guys. Like one that always comes to mind is James White, who was a dunk contest participant. And that was all he did pretty much in his entire career, but he was an insane athlete or Jeremy Evans. Right. But this kid actually can run a pick and roll. He can be the full-time point guard. What's there not to like in that regard? Two part question for our man. Uh, I guess one do you think he can figure the shooting out? Because 65% of the line, I think 25% from three. And, you know, we saw two, two years of that. He was taking those shots open and just couldn't get him to hit. So you're probably talking about him having to really, you know, read so his entire form, which I guess one, obviously buy into him really being able to become at least an average shooter. Then two, if he doesn't get there, how much of your, I guess, evaluation of him being fourth hinges on him being able to shoot? Look, if you can, you can make up for the lack of shooting when you have elite athleticism. Um, you can, you can get to the line to make up for it. Again, if you're not going to be a free, good, very great free throw shooter, it might limit you, but you can get to the line. You can eventually hit some shots. I think the work ethic seems to be really strong. So for him, it might be a first two years. It's going to be bad, but eventually you can make teams just pay for going under. And that, that is a big enough improvement. I think you don't have to be this guy who has contested shots, everything like that. But I think if you're able to do that, I think that's enough. And he doesn't need to be an all-world shooter. 32 33% on like two, three attempts is fine, given how much he's going to go to the rim. But to answer the first part of the question, I mean, just in college, if you find a shooter of a guy who had free throw percentage under 65%, I got to double check this on the spot. So sorry if you hear the, the clicking in the background, but there's only one name that's ever come to mind. And yes, that's the only person I would consider having had a good career in the NBA after shooting terribly at the free throw line. And that was Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley shot 54.5% from the free throw line, ended up being a 36% shooter. I, I think he's done from the league. Uh, he didn't play this year. 36.5% from the free from three, 78% for his career from the free throw line. So that is the only person I've seen in doing tons of deep dives that comes even more than like, uh, my bar is 35% for the last 20 years of an average shooter. And 36 is growing. It's closer to that. Now, if finding anybody that shot 65% or less, I mean, I did 67. I couldn't find much. 65 is not, not an encouragement. All right. So that walks us right into this question from Charles T. Stevens. Thank you, everybody that's dropping questions and comments and all of that in the chat. He says, which skill? This is just general question. We talked about the shooting with the men. We'll talk about it with the SAR. Passing, we talked about that with Cam Whitmore. Or then defending on and off the ball. Just for you in general, Richard, which one do you feel like is, man, if this kid can't do it, if he hasn't shown it in college, regardless of age, because that's another thing too. A man and a SAR, 20 years old, Cam, one of the youngest guys in the draft. But which one is the toughest to develop once they get into the NBA? I think it's passing. I, I think that's something where... Passing is probably the best, like assists, right? Assist to turnover is probably the best, like statistical way to value feel for the game. And it's something where I feel like you can develop it 
don't get me wrong, it's not something that's a end all be all right away. Like it's not something that you know you either have or you don't have. But it is very hard to fine tune, let alone grow a lot. And I, I think that's it. Like defense effort solves a lot of problems, right? No matter how big or small you are, I mean, there's a reason JJ Barea at times was actually a pretty good defender despite being six foot. Shooting, you can always learn. Brooke Lopez expanding his range, I think, is a prime example. For me, it's passing. You don't see guys go from like 0.8 assists, 0.8 assists, one assist to like five. It's just very rare. Let's get to Jairus Walker, uh, who I think me and Bryce both like Jairus as a prospect a lot. Uh, where's your evaluation of him right now and what kind of puts him uh, for a lot of evaluators in this kind of really five through 10 range. Yeah, I have him six. So like right in yeah. that, uh, right in that wheelhouse right now, I, I recently changed my board. So I originally had him seven. Somebody felt a little bit, um, but I, I like Jairus because he's that guy who, if he were to go to any playoff team right now, he becomes one of the best young ceiling raisers in the league, like automatically. So when you're looking at, this is what it has to come down to Detroit with Detroit. How quick do you think you can compete? Because they had the worst record in the league this year, right? By just looking at it, you don't really, um, you don't really see teams go from worse to even flirting with the play in right away. It's pretty rare. So they have to have one transition year where they get there. And then the next year is probably when they start trying to go, all right, we want to make the playoffs. We're trying to make noise. So by year three, can Jairus Walker be able to maximize his skill set to help the Pistons be winning if he goes in number five. And it's a really tough situation because you probably have to trade for some guys to also get you over the hump. How quickly are you wanting him to contribute, I guess, to, you know, like, would it feel like you're wasting some time? Like next year, they're not wanting to tank, so maybe not. But I really like his game. I mean, he's just a ceiling raiser on both ends. The one concern, the only reason he's not a consensus top five prospect is he doesn't shoot consistently enough. Free throw percentage is low. He again, that's sixty-seven. This is he's the reason I searched. It was how many guys go from sixty-seven percent or less of the line and become thirty-five plus percent shooters? Not many. So this again leads us right into a question, Donovan Strong. You talked about this. Do you think Jairus Walker would actually make a bigger immediate impact than Cam Whitmore, though? So you talked about maybe not the immediate impact from Walker, but would it be more so than what Cam Whitmore could bring? I, I definitely think it's more. I mean, you look at a high-level defender, he already kind of played his rookie year role at Houston and did a really good job helping them win. Uh, you know, they didn't go as far as they wanted to, but he, he sat in the corner a lot but still found ways to impact the game. And that's what a lot of rookies get like relegated to is they have to sit in the corner and find a way. It's, it's hard. Kawhi has a very notice, notable story about that, how he would always observe the game from the corner and find ways. It took him a second. Jairus Walker very much could do that quickly, and he has quick spot-up ability, like both one, two dribble pull-ups, catch and shoot. He, there's enough there where teams have to close out. I think he's an all-around impact guy day one. I just want to say real quick, because I know... Isaiah Stewart shot 77% from the free throw line in his freshman year at Washington, just for all the Pistons fans watching, listening. And I know there's been a comparison there and, and all sorts of stuff. And I'm sure people were wondering about that. So I know Amari's got a follow-up question here, but I just wanted to throw that in real quick. When you look at, at Jairus and you look at uh, just his physical profile, right? He's 6'8". He's kind of built like Isaiah Stewart. I think that's where a lot of the Isaiah Stewart comparisons come from, from uh, you know some Pistons fans. It really isn't a bad comparison. They're, they're different players, but some similarities. But do you see him as... A natural four? Do you see him as undersized five? Can he play some three? Uh, like I know defensively, you can kind of move him up and down a little bit. Offensively, where does he kind of match up best? Yeah, offensively, very rarely a three. I would say he's a natural four with small ball five, like a killer small ball five. I think that's probably his best role because he's got the length, he's got the strength, the athleticism, and he can he has ball skills, right? It's an automatic mismatch offensively. And then you throw him in as the defensive guy where he can rotate well, he's intelligent. I think he checks out as a, a unique four or five combo. What's he guarding, Richard? Because this is really where he's intriguing to me. And Omari and I have continually said there's a difference between switching one or two through five or actually guarding one or two through five. Is he a guard threes? I saw something the other day. I thought it was an interesting point that he's the type of guy that can guard your LeBrons, your Giannis's, maybe your J Jason Tatum's. If that's really what he can do and those guys aren't running off a lot of off-ball screens, then you know that's a really intriguing. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole potential with him, right? Is he has the potential to be your best team's defender and all defense guy. And with that, it's like, yeah, I think some of the jump shot 
uh, or I'm sorry, not the jump shot, jump shooting, defending with three point shooting. I think he, he's a little bit, um, less than, you know, a great defender, the average great rookie defender, I guess right away, but like three point defending is really hard. So I think that's something he can grow into on drives. There's not anybody in, that he can't guard. I mean, like maybe some of these big post guys like Embiid, yeah, he's going to struggle, but also Embiid was scoring champ, like who isn't struggling. So I hate those comparisons, but for me, I just, I think he can guard any slasher. Slasher is going to be his forte early on. He's going to grow into that jump shooting defender at a high level. All right, we're going to go to a short break here. Whenever we come back, we got to talk about the other Thompson twin, Asar. We got to talk about some Anthony Black, and we got to talk about Taylor Hendricks, maybe even a surprise guy that Richard may have for us. We'll get into those guys after this short break. All right, we're back with segment two. And Richard, we're going to bounce over to the other uh, Thompson Twin first, uh, Asar. And I know you mentioned earlier that you have um, in higher on your board. Sounds like by a pretty good margin. That seems to be the standard for just a lot of people you talk to around the league or different draft pundits. Uh, for you, uh, what kind of separates them and where do you have Asar uh, sort of on your board right now? Yeah, I, I am lower on the consensus than Asar. Uh, I have him 10, which... Like, it's not an insult by any means. It's just like he's considered mocked, like, no later than eight. I do think some stuff's going to hold him up and uh, as the draft gets closer. I think on tape, it, it becomes pretty apparent. He's not a full-time point guard. That's where the automatic separation is, right? Where Amen can, he doesn't pick up his dribble nearly as easily. I think that's, like, the simplest way I can put it. Amen keeps his dribble alive at a very high level while still making those high-level reads. Asar will stop and go, all right, I have to prematurely make this play which makes him a secondary ball handler. Because if you watch him coming off of screens, he makes great reads. Like the, the reads he makes are point guard ability level. He's got to tighten the handle and make sure that he can actually use that handle uh, on the offensive end. But what, what closes the gap a little bit on that is he's, he's the best defender in the class. I had a coach at OTE tell me he's the best defender he's ever coached. I mean, there's, it's high praise for him. Anybody you talk to throughout the league, like he's super long. Imagine him with these unbelievable instincts with more strength. Like that's, that's ridiculous. I just wanted to say what separates with on, on paper, you hear about Asar and Cam and they sound like similar players in some ways, both plus athletes. Um, you know, Cam probably is a much better shooter than Asar is at this stage. What propels Cam above Asar for you? Is it just the shooting or what else kind of goes into Yeah, that? I mean, the shooting is the starting of it. I think he's a better three-level scorer against better competition. And that's really where it lies, right? I mean, he was still able to get to the rim. He bullies guys to the rim, Cam Whitmore. Asar just doesn't do that. Like, he he picks his dribble up again just much more easily. And again, it, it it's if I was in college, I think I'd be a little bit more okay with it because the competition but an ote being 20 years old already like he turns 21 in january you got to be you got to be more aggressive and that's really where i I think i penalize him on so i gotta say richard and i i don't have their defense as different as i think a lot of people and what you're talking about and obviously i respect what you do so this isn't like but i really struggled with their defense richard just because and maybe it was just the competition. The flashes were really good, right? The flashes were unbelievable. But there was some off-the-ball stuff where I'm like, what are you doing? You can't do that. Do you think that – here's my question. Do you think that stuff goes away? Do you think they were just bored? They were just allowed to kind of just do what they were doing? Or do you think it's going to take some real time to break some of those habits where – like I, I saw clips where a men's not the low man, but he rotates like he's the low man. He gets away with it. But in the NBA, that's given up a weak side three. Yeah, I think it's a bit of yes and no, like both. I think in some way there's no organized structure um, in that regard, and that that kind of hurts their development. Like, but at the end of the day, also, you know, they don't go at hard, so they don't go elite like difficulty. You know, they don't their motor. They have a great motor. Like, I don't want this to be twisted. They're not in some of these games. They're not going. You know, every moment. That's every single high schooler too like you can't you cannot find me a single high school that plays hard on defense that is a top 10 recruit or top 30 whatever you want to trim it down to that goes hard every single place i'm not worried about that i think the nba my one worry is how will they adapt to that nba scheme can they learn it quickly but that's where the intel pays off for me where it's like the work ethic is there they will study the plays they'll understand it quickly like the learning curve on that end won't be hard neither of the Thompson to win shot the ball very well but Asar was ahead of Ahmed. Uh, I guess, do you, are you higher on Asar being able to shoot the ball than Ahmed, or 
or in general, do you think Asar will be able to be a floor spacer at the next level? I mean, I, I still think he's got a long ways on the jumper. It's still, for me, it's like, if I had to grade him right now, the shots maybe at like a C minus, I would say. And, and you know, it, it, that's still a long ways. Like, you, that's, not a, that's not a plus, right? Like, yeah, you're passing. Like, okay, there's enough to believe that it could be real, but you still got a long ways to go. Teams are like, he's going to have to go to a team that has a notable shooting development program. Same with the Amman in a way. I mean, I, I really think, I, I really think the shooting is a bit away, but there's a little bit of growth to have. So I'm going to switch this question just a little bit from Cedric and I'm going to put Richard on the spot. Richard, make the argument for taking a SAR over a men. Can you do it? Is there any way you can, because again, and you and I live on Twitter, this is where we do our content, right? I just read it again where people are making the pitch for a SAR over a men. So what is it? Uh, you don't have to do it. What, when people pitch it to you, what is the pitch that a SAR over a min? Not even necessarily at five, but just as a prospect in general. I'll, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate. For me personally, I think it's a no contest for Amen, but I think it depends. You can make the argument, all right, say we have a team that already has guards and say it's like the seventh pick. Like somehow they've randomly fallen. Teams are like, all right, the competition concerns that really scares us, right? They're both available at seven. Say it's Indiana, I think they actually have the seventh pick, coincidentally enough. They have Andrew Nemhard and Tyrese Halliburton, two guys that, uh, I mean, Nemhard should have been all rookie last year. So two guys that are very confident in, just to paint that picture. They might take Asar Thompson because the defense and the shooting, they may believe that's a, such a workable trait with the vision and ball skills, enough ball skills to make him a very valuable wing that as he had strength, maybe he could even slide over and play some four, rotate, help the, help the paint. That's probably it. It's really how high do you see that defensive upside being? How high do you see that shooting upside being? Because I think there's no team in the league that's going to say we prefer Amen shooting. It's it's very unlikely. And because of that, with Asar being a better defender, I think that's the pitch right there. Let's move on to Anthony Black, who is just another guy in like that six foot seven range, you know, plus athlete, uh, playmaker. You know, I, he's also sort of been like the six through ten or maybe six through twelve range for a lot of mock drafts. Where are you on him? And maybe what makes him unique compared to these other plus size ball handlers in, in, in this draft? Uh, when you just look at this class as a whole, he's uh, he's a good athlete. The defense is there. The motors there. You look at just the upside of being a potential pass defense guard with shooting sprinkled in there. He's not going to be like a. I, I don't think he's going to be much of a pull up shooter at least very early in his career. That's where he kind of drops off. But I think with passing and defense, you know as a point guard and scoring at the rim, I think that combination is pretty valuable. How does he fit with the Pistons, Richard? Because you just kind of outlined the Pacers, but really as you're talking about the Pacers, you, you know, I thought about the Pistons with Cade and Ivy especially. Killian Hayes is still on the team right now. You know, you got to factor him in at least while he's on the roster. Even if not, you can stagger Cade and Ivy. You want Ivy to run the show at times. How does Anthony Black factor in with a team like the Pistons? Because I think at five, you can start to consider fit, right? These guys are in similar enough tiers where you want to look into that a little bit. Can Anthony Black function off the ball offensively and then maybe you stagger some on-the-ball stuff? I, I worry about his off ball because I'm, I'm lower on his shooting than most. I think, I mean, again, the free throw percentage doesn't pop. The three point percentage isn't there. What worries me there there's I'll, I'll read the good side first. I think he becomes your best guard defender right away, um, which helps. The problem is he'd be the tallest of the three of Ivy Kate and him, which might be good because then you can make him a wing playmaker. Not necessarily. I don't think he's a point guard uh, by the way. I mean, just the turnover issues. He has too many, lapses that a, just a great point guard doesn't have and for me that worries me i don't know if he can play off ball enough as a shooting threat where teams will know he's going to try and do something else beyond shoot on the catch and to me that that worries me so i wouldn't take him at least not at five you might be able to justify it at eight or nine if you get like a second first rounder in there i wouldn't do it at i think it's hard at five this is going to be like my next version of the um, uh, Dussar versus Cam. You look at Almond and you look at Anthony Black. And on paper, uh, both good athletes, although Almond's probably in a different tier compared to Anthony Black. Uh, both have tools to be great defenders, although, you know, I would say probably Anthony was, you know, possession to possession probably a little bit better. Uh, where are the sort of the similarities and differences there and what propels Almond above Anthony Black? So with Almond, it's, I mean, that elite athleticism, the pick and roll ability, just the point guard, I would say the point guard skills in general are just so much stronger for Amen Thompson. It puts him over the top for me. I, I think that's actually it. 
I, I think, you know, you could convince me probably to, like shooting is better, Anthony Black, but in same with, um, same with defense is pretty close. But again, that point guard ability where it's how do you stop a six, seven? They're both six, seven. How do you, it's a difference of a very good athlete to an elite athlete. How do you stop that downhill train? And especially like with Amen for me is he's going to add, you know, every summer, every September we hear, oh, I've added 15 pounds of muscle. But like when Amen actually does add 15 pounds of muscle, how do you stop that? Like as a real question, I don't think anybody has an answer because it's a freight train coming at you. It's the same way Giannis doesn't have much of a shooting threat. But he's still impossible to guard going to the rim because he's so big, strong, and athletic. Well, we saw it with Cade this summer. I mean, we saw the other, like his upper body. You could see the transformation. I don't think I ever, or we didn't ever directly ask you this, Richard. Then a man is number four on your board, correct? So yep. let's say Whitmore goes four or whatever. I mean, are you jumping at that if you're Troy Weaver and the Pistons to add a man to this roster? Because I mean, you're talking about him as a point guard, so now all of a sudden the fit questions come in just a little bit, or are you just saying, hey, let's add a in to Cade and Ivy, and we'll figure this out because that's a lot of explosiveness, that's a lot of talent. Yeah, I, I see both sides. I think, you know, there's enough flags where you could say, well, if we get Amon, it gives us an opportunity to see who has the least flags and the clearest upside. I mean, I think right now Cade has flags with health. I mean, he's struggled in that regard. Um, Jaden Ivy... I don't think there's really any noticeable flags. I mean, yeah, the defense was very underwhelming considering his abilities, but like you're not you're not gonna go based on that. I think with Amon, like what worries me is you're gonna do what the Sixers did, right? Where they had Embiid, Noel, and Open Four. And then it just kind of stunted all of the development. Like you don't want that. But at the same time, I think all these guys are different levels of talented. I mean, let's be real, Embiid's the only guy playing minutes right now even in the playoffs like i know i know noel i don't think he was on a playoff team i think he ended in detroit i can't remember if he got moved i, I want to say he got the, bought uh out. yeah right. he got he got bought out that's what i thought and like <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing out. like over the last few i mean just this playoffs alone and beats probably played more playoff minutes than both the other two combined so like was it a talent thing or was it them developing and you just don't want to get in that situation. That's the one worry, and that's kind of that like cannibalism that can happen in development. Is there a player in that top 10 range? Well, actually, I guess there's probably one player that we haven't talked about yet, Taylor Hendricks. You know, to me, he's a player where you kind of just look at the prototypical modern four. He checks both of those boxes, and, you know, I think me and Bryce are both big fans of him. Uh, what are just your initial thoughts on Taylor Hendricks, and what's your range? He won't, he won't send Hendricks to the Pistons at five because he's holding out for him to go to the Mavericks at 10, Richard. No, no, you so don't. no, you were so oh, close. Oh, I want him to go to the Magic at six. Oh, my bad. Okay. I, know, that's, I mean, yeah, I'd love him in Dallas, but he's not. I mean, let's like from what I heard this week in Omari, I don't know if you talked to anybody about Taylor, but dude, nobody I talked to thinks he's getting to 10. Like, Really? I mean, granted, wow. I have the Mavs. Yeah. I had I was wearing a Mavs draft shirt for a lot of it, so like people would automatically talk about the Mavs. So like different perspectives, I guess. But nobody like I mean, the two names I heard they're not making it is Casey Wallace and Taylor Hendricks. So I think yeah. Taylor would be ideal at five or six and seven. Like the sales pitch with Taylor Hendricks, he's he's a big dude, six nine. I, I still don't believe that. I think that's what he measured in without shoes because I remember seeing him up close. And I'm like, this dude is taller than a lot of the, like he he was bigger than Trace Jackson Davis, like so. And Trace Jackson Davis is six nine, but seven foot and a half wingspan, huge hands, incredible feel for the game. The shot is very real. I think he's got to work on getting finishing with momentum at the rim because a lot of his finishing numbers are a little bit fluffed by cuts and things like that where it's very easy, highest percentage shots, right? He's not he's not taking tough layups and making that at a super high percentage. That's where he's kind of got to work on. But you look at shooting, defense, and just feel for the game, he can pass. Like, it's a great, great starter's kit to a ceiling racer. Like, for me, my comparison has always been, imagine if you put, uh, I don't know if you guys remember Robert Covington at Tennessee State, how he was a four-year guy. He, had a, he was everything, right? I think he averaged like 28 like three like three or four and one and one that's what taylor Hendricks. if you put that version four years younger in a freshman like that you just cloned him but made him four years younger doing that same thing that's what you got in taylor Hendricks. so you get a much much younger starting kid in that regard and to me that's a ceiling racer is there anything more than three and d ceiling with him like that's i think that's my hiccup is okay i love this a 
Floor spacer at the four, maybe play some small ball five. Weak side rim protector, like this off ball guy. I guess my question is, is there more ceiling as a true small ball five? Is there more ceiling guarding some of those wings, bigger wings like we were talking about with Jairus Walker? Is there some off the bounce game on the offensive end? Pitch him as an ultimate higher ceiling guy because I think that's where maybe people fall a little lower with him. Yeah, I mean, the offense, I'll be real. I think it's two things. You got, you got, really three. He's a play finisher in one way. I'll sum that up into two make it one but you know he's gonna finish plays at the rim he's gonna finish plays on the perimeter be a catch and shoot guy on offense the other thing he provides i, I just i really think he moves the ball well he recognizes like it, it's so minor but making that knowing how and when to make that extra pass does matter a lot like that is the difference of several points in a game so i think that matters a ton and he's very good at it defensively though it can't be overstated just how versatile he is he's gonna hold his own on pro I, i'd say two through five i really hesitate on one through five on anybody it's not anything taylor did wrong but i think you know one through five he can hold his uh, excuse me two through five he can hold his own uh, about to violate my own words there and it can't be overstated again he can play the paint he can play mid-range and he can guard three-point shots really well. I think that's like the one area, like that in shooting, the difference for him between Jairus Walker's why I have him five and Jairus six is that shooting. And I think he's incredible at timing uh, shot contests at three at the three-point range, just like slightly better than Jairus. So for me, that's what really wins me over on him. I called him sort of a prototypical modern four earlier. Uh, do you see him playing some five? I mean, obviously, matchup-wise, it'll be some matchups he's able to take advantage of. But long-term, do you see him being able to shift two to five? Or is this more of a situation of maybe a Jaron Jackson Jr. where uh, you're going to kind of want him roaming a little bit more and maybe have somebody a little bit bigger behind him just to to, to rebound and handle the bigger matchups? Yeah, I mean, the Jaron one's a good one because Jaron plays his own at the five sometimes. And then also, like, he has Steven Adams behind him. So I like that. I think it's probably a blend. So I, I would say actually very much that where he's a good rebounder. He can hold his own in the post. And obviously he's still, I think, 18 or 19. He's going to be able to add more strength to his already strong frame. And at that point, that's really going to help him be a true small ball. Honestly, not even small ball, just a five. Like I, I think that has the ability to step out and defend the perimeter. Like you just look at the modern five and four, what they're trending towards. Taylor Hendricks just fits that bill. All right, we got to go to a short break in just a second, but our guy Shad left a comment here. And I know you guys, if you're listening on <laughs> Tuesday on the podcast version, you can't see this, but you guys need to ch- Amari. So he says, can we shout out Amari for the braids and the beard? Flourishing. I'm a little bit offended. Like Richard still got his hair looking good. I've lost my hair, but I got a good looking beard here. I'm a little offended, Shad, that you're only... Sh- I just got to show off. You got the braids. I got these done last week. Got them in a little <laughs> button in the bottom, if you can see that. Yeah. You know, years of beard oil just to kind of flourish this out a little bit. That's my guy, Rashad. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate the shot. I'm not going to lie. Amari does look fresh. The first time he showed up to the episode, I was like, dang, Amari, you looking good. He's kept it rolling. So it does look good. We're going to go to a short break. And then we got some more questions from everybody watching live right now. We're going to talk about the lottery in general. Amari, let's lead Richard off with if we, the Pistons, can trade for that Mavericks number 10 pick. We'll get into that right after this short break. We're back with segment three, and yeah, we're going to get into some uh, trade talk. You know, the Pistons, I believe, will be open for business at number five. Uh, it wouldn't shock me at all if we traded completely out of the lottery, but, you know, obviously teams are going to have their own evaluations as far as, uh, you know, who the best crowds of players are once you get outside that top three or four. Uh, for you, Richard, what would it take from Detroit and their their assets, uh, you know, to move up, or I guess the other way around to just make some sort of five to 10 swap happen. I don't think the Mavs have a ton to offer. It's tough. I don't think it matches because I think their two best pieces they could offer aren't doing the jump, right? You've got Josh Green and Jaden Hardy, both are on rookie contracts, seem pretty promising to get a second contract. Is that really enough though? Like 10 in those guys and the Mavs would never do that because that's all their depth, like already weak depth. So it's a really bad fit. I think the Mavs are trying to do the opposite. Like if if Detroit would give him a 2024 pick for Davis Bertans in 10, because 2024 is not good. And I don't think Detroit does that, by the way. Uh, or Tim Hardaway, like one of those two, maybe Hardaway, because he could actually play right now. I Dallas is tough because they don't have future picks they can trade because the protections are so wonky and the way that like they have the implications, right? So 
I think Dallas is really tough to trade for. I, I think it goes the opposite way. Dallas could trade their pictures for a player. So I was going to say, what, walk through that. Because I texted you the other day about trying to get number 10 for the Pistons. And I think this is really intriguing to Pistons fans because this is what Troy Weaver did last season, right? They drafted Jaden Ivey at five. And then it was complete chaos with the 13th pick. It was the Knicks. It was the Hornets. It, all of a sudden, it was Detroit and it was Jalen Duran. And I think you would probably crush people's hearts by saying Hendricks won't last a 10. I've had a lot of people tweet at me that five Cam Whitmore, men, whoever, and then Taylor Hendricks at 10 would be ideal. Is there, what would be the trade? How could we make that happen where Detroit gets that number 10 pick from the Mavericks? Um, Boyan. <laughs> I guess it. So Boyan and for number 10 and we have a deal? I, I, I think the Mavs would do that, which personally for me, Boyan's what, 34? I don't like it. Boyan also, though, is very much ahead of father time right now for a 34-year-old in the NBA. And again, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see something else come with it. Maybe, like, I, I feel like it's an overpay asking for anybody else. Again, because I just, I always undervalue the Mavs. Here's my thing. I'm not good at these trades because I'm always like, oh, the Mavs, the Mavs are getting a fleece or the Mavs are getting fleece. I'm very bad at finding that middle ground in trades. Like, there's a reason I'm Mavs draft, not Mavs trade. But here's the thing with... Um the the Pistons, you know, is that they could go a number of ways. If you really want to go into next season and say we need to turn the page on this rebuild and, um, you know, really get toward maybe where OKC was last year and make it run at the play in, uh, you could do that. You know, if you want to say, hey, maybe we need an extra year or two, you could look at flipping some of the vets, right? You mentioned Bobby, you mentioned Alec Burks. Uh, maybe you could get the tough pick. Maybe you could look at packaging five and ten to get into the, the top three somehow. You know, maybe Portland's like, all right, nobody is really, you know, jumping to get this third pick. So now we can just get two, and that gives you a little bit more maneuverability. I think draft night would give us a really good idea of just kind of how antsy this front office is to maybe get to the next stage or if they still have patience for, uh, you know, just rebuilding and taking this the long way, which you could probably make an argument either way. Uh, we look at Detroit's assets, and I think what's tough is that they still don't have a future pick to trade because of that Isaiah Stewart trade. But realistically, they're probably not going to trade Ivy. They're probably not going to trade Cade, right? Probably not going to trade Duran. But do you see an avenue for them to package that fifth pick, maybe a couple of young guys, and uh, put together something that uh, the second or third teams will potentially want to sniff? Uh, without future picks, it's hard. Yeah. The only answer I think is, is something I, I, I would get absolutely roasted for saying, so I'm not just going to keep it to myself. And I don't think that either team would do it. That's what they can't put together the package, right? To probably get to number three. What, let, let's change this then. What could they get for number five, Richard? You've talked about a men. We've talked about Cam. Some, is there a chance that somebody would fall in love with somebody at number five so much that, you could trade five straight up for, say, an OG Ananobi or somebody like that. I don't think you're getting Michael Bridges wow. straight up for number five. You're not getting Jalen Brown, of course, straight up for number five. And again, I don't know that if you want to attach Cade, Ivy, or Duran, and nobody else is worth enough, but maybe OG's right in enough of a range and the Raptors are like, Amin Thompson is a six seven, exactly the type of player we want. Is there something there? I like it. I actually think that's probably the best player you get for five. I, 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 that's an intriguing one. And cause Toronto would keep 13 so they can get there. Leonard Miller, which feels just like bound to happen given his measurements, fitting, fitting the Kawhi, uh, his measurements or whatever it is, the hand size frame, all that. So for me, I think if they could do it without even touching 13, they really might like all it takes is one, right? Like I don't think you can find any five GMs that have, a similar one through three, even just at like, not at the top of the board, but like once you get to five, like the five, six, seven, right? You're not going to find anybody who has the exact same order of five GMs. My guess is that we actually won't see a lot of movement in this draft just because there aren't as many players who are probably going to be in that. We have to have them tier. Like I think about 2018 and it's like, okay, like you can get Trey Young, you can get Jaren, you can get Luca. Uh, you know, you have all these players who kind of just have clear all-star upside in this draft. Like, let's really get past top three, four. It's more so maybe these guys could be elite role players. Some will probably pop off as stars like any other draft. But uh, I'm just be curious to hear what you think of this. I wouldn't be shocked if we really don't see a lot of movement in the draft just because teams are just, like, where are you going to dangle? That's going to be compelling for a team in the top three or outside of it at that point. You could probably get your guy. Yeah, I, I don't think the top two trade. Portland, look, nobody knows how true that stuff is. I think that's one where... I can see you going either way. 
I think you can draft Brandon Miller, which I ultimately I think he's going to be the third guy, no matter who picks. I think I, I think that can fit right away next to Damian Lillard. It also could get you enough ammo. I think the Blazers would be kind of dumb to trade it outright for a player. Not necessarily dumb. I think it's just a risk, a very risky move. Um, but like I, I'm all in favor of getting more capital and, and just sparing some of that capital to for a trade. But I don't think a lot of, I think I agree. A lot of trades aren't going to happen, at least in the lottery. Maybe the back end of the lottery, but like in the top, yeah. Dallas will be the one to kick it off. Like I'm very confident in that. I think the first nine teams select. Like none of those teams add up to really trade. I don't think Indiana wants to trade. Uh, Orlando, maybe they trade up. Like that would be the only one for Portland. And that that's it, six and 11. But I don't think Portland does that. All right. So here's a question and it ties into this a little bit. This is from Just Football Academy Australia. Is there any likelihood a Cam or Jarris goes higher and then Miller or Min drop to five? So I know we've kind of went through your board and we know where people, you just kind of talked about, is there any way someone that we don't expect to go in the top three goes in the top three? I've heard people throw out scenarios where Miller goes two and then Portland passes on Scoot and Scoot falls to four. I don't know that I see that happening. Miller would be the one, right? Like maybe, I don't. I hate to put this out, into, but maybe there's some bad intel. People don't love it or something, but is, is there any chance those three don't go top three? I'd be stunned. And and just to clarify, Bryce is not suggesting that that is the case. He's just, you know, hypothetical because it's a sensitive so- topic. When you talk about any saying the word intel and then saying Brandon Miller, it automatically gets misconstrued. misconstrued. I think it, I'd say there's a 90 five percent chance that the top three goes as expected just in which order hard to say but i think those three are headed like i have all three on their own tier right now i think most nba people will tell you the same thing how deep does this draft go for you and the pistons having the, the 31st pick is that to use that equivalent to having maybe like a pick at around 20 for you or does it really fall off after a certain point i mean there's drop-offs i think the way i would break this draft down is again the first three on their own tier almonds on his own tier then it started starts to get a little bit thinner. I'd say Taylor Hendricks and Jairus Walker. Then there's a drop-off. And then from 8 to... God, uh, I like 15. I think there's a big there's a big gap, uh, like a big tier. And then from there, I have 16 through 32 on my board or the rest of the first-round grades. There's really no... You could convince me any any order of those guys. And so for me, that's, I mean, that's 32 first-round grades I've given out. And when you get to that point... Pistons should get good value. So uh, for me, I think they're going to find a steal. I mean, it might be, there's a very good chance they could get like Gigi Jackson as the massive, massive upside player. Like I, before the combine, I had a top 10. The talk just isn't good about him. Like it's, it's not, it's not ESPN just like hating on him. It very much is. There's, there's valid reasons that, I mean, Amar, you, you were at this combine on Monday, right? <laughs> no, I, no, I actually didn't get into oh, okay. Tuesday. Well, sorry, sorry for calling you out then. My bad. <laughs> no, on Monday, so they did the three-on-three scrimmages after measuring and testing and everything. And Gigi Jackson, it's just, I, I think the talent is top 10, but it's the decision-making. So raw. And I get he's 18. He's the youngest player in the league when he gets to the NBA. But he on the three-on-three, they did the full-court three-on-three where you run in transition. He picks up the ball at the rim. Does two pump fakes. It's already been two, three seconds at this point. Does a fake pass, pump fakes, looks around, pump fakes again, puts it up. And it was like, dude, just like, yeah, Bryce is, yeah, Bryce, <laughs> yeah. I know you're a, coach, you're a coach. So like, dude, and a former player. So like, dude, this kills you inside. And, and it's just like that. It's, it's that kind of stuff where it's like, it's not that he's just making the wrong play. He's making the worst play too often. And for, he's got such a long ways to go he needs the right team and that's be, that's why he's going to slip in the draft most likely I, I think he doesn't go lottery at the minimum but i think he could be at there at 31 i want to ask you about two of my favorite guys that i think end up in this range and it may be a little well for one i think it's right in the right range another maybe a little high but he just had a really good combine bobby clinton is a guy that blew up at the end of the season but i'm a huge fan of and then omax omax played so well in the first scrimmage he didn't you know all of a sudden he had the calf injury you know wasn't able to play day two we all understand how that works and why it works like that and, and it makes sense are those two guys i think they're wingy guys they can defend maybe shoot a little bit i really would be excited about adding them to this Pistons roster in that 31 area. Is that too rich for any those guys, or you think that that's the right range? 
Uh, Clintman's very much in that range. The rumor on him is like he didn't necessarily get a first round promise. He got a high enough promise where like the 30s is still a very good hit rate. Generally, it's not different that much. Like it's a very small drop off, if any, from the 20s. So, like that's a good spot to be in. Olivier Maxon's prosper though. Like this kid, for those who don't know, he has helped himself so much. The stats do not do him justice. This year as a junior, he jumped from six and a half points a game to 12 and a half, uh, jumped his rebounding. The assists kind of stayed the same, but three point percentage over the years, freshman 17% on 18 shots. He took 60 shots as a sophomore, 32%, then 115 as a junior, 34%. And he was one of the best shooters in the combine. It everything about him oozed good work ethic and his defense is good. The one concern I've heard from some scouts that I talked to there was he doesn't produce defensive uh, stats. How much is his defense actually going to translate? I think he goes top 35. He's right in that mix. I, I would love that fit though. I think he, he makes his teammates better on both ends. I just want to say real quick, because everybody knows my guys, Jordan Hawkins, Rich, you know, this Omar, you know, I watched a lot of Jordan Hawkins film this year. Omax guarded Jordan Hawkins better than anybody else I watched. And this is a 6'9", Jeremy Grant body type for Pistons fans chasing Jordan Hawkins. And we all know Jordan Hawkins runs off more screens than anybody. And Omax did a better job chasing this kid off screens than anybody I watched guard Jordan Hawkins all year. And that's really where, what caught my eye. And then, like you said, he's just done himself a bunch of favors moving forward. So, uh, Amari, you brought it up. I think this is a really intriguing spot for the Pistons at 31. I don't know if they have to move up to get a good prospect. I mean, I think you just look at this draft. There's a lot of, and this is true for any year, but I also see just a lot of really good kind of wing slash forwards who played three or four years in college or could possibly come in and just make an immediate impact. Like we talked about Kobe Jones. I'm a fan of his game. Uh, Chris Murray. And I actually want to ask you about Chris Murray next. Uh, Richard, just given that I know the Pistons were in a mix for Keegan last year, but you know, that 31st pick, uh, could absolutely be interesting for Detroit. I mean, I, I think there's so many different options for Chris Murray just kind of getting ahead of it. I don't think he's there at 31. Yeah, I was I was going to say, I mean, if he's – how much of uh, his game reminds you of his, his brother and what kind of separates them? They're actually somewhat different. I think the defense is pretty similar. Um, the way they both operate in quick offense is similar. But other than that, I, I actually think there's some dis, there's just a lot of dissimilarities. Um, if, I, I don't even know if that's actually a word. But uh, – <laughs> <laughs> but there's like he's more of a spot up shooter i think what makes me okay with his lower catch and shoot numbers and just overall spot up in three point numbers is he had such high volume and also he didn't have the benefit of what he had last year with keegan he was both the best on ball and off ball option and when you're being hounded all the time it's obviously going to be harder to be an off ball threat i think just as a spot up guy, because teams are always going to have you in mind first and the NBA, that's just not going to happen. So for me, the one similarity also is, you know, he can attack closeouts uh, like Keegan can. And I think that'll help him. He's a strong defender. He's not going to be the shop blocker or rim protector, uh, not really rim protector, just shop blocker that Keegan is and was. I mean, Keegan Murray had more games for the block than Walker Kessler last year. Chris cannot have that same thing said about him, but he's still a fine defender. Will do one of the most, you know, like stereotypical three and D roles that you can find. And on top of that, like he moves the ball, like he, he's just intelligent, like an intelligent three and D guy does more than simply just shoot and defend. Quick follow-up. Why is Chris Murray not considered a lottery guy? And maybe that'll change as we get closer to it, but why was Keegan like clearly top five and uh, what's sort of the difference in that? Is it just like Chris is a year older? Like what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, part of it is the draft class itself. And I think it's just that on-ball ability. Keegan Murray was able to, I think he was one of the highest level closeout killers I've seen where he gets his guy going up in the air and he's he's at the basket like that and it's effective. Like he's he's thrown off the defense, he's collapsed the defense and broken it completely. Chris just doesn't do that. And that's okay. Like he doesn't need to. But I think that really is the the difference. It's just that on-ball ability. All right, this is a really good question. I was about to ask something similar. So Israel says, and I'm not going to try your first name, my guy. I apologize. So I'm just going to go with Israel here. Do you think that Bryce Sensiball can fall to the 31st pick? So I want you to answer that because I feel like Sensiball is all over the place. I've literally seen him top five on boards. Richard, we've talked about this. But then I've heard him in the 20s. 
If it's not Sintabal, then give us some other names of guys who could fall, even if it's not all the way to 31, but maybe to 25, and then Detroit and Weaver look to trade up because this guy has free-falled for whatever reason, but is just a really good talent. Yeah, Sintabal is tough. There's, I think he, I think he'll stay in the draft. I don't think it's been fully confirmed, which is weird. But there's some weird flags around him because he's got all the tools you want. I think one on one, he moves very well. He can defend anybody on isolation if he wants. But the problem is, is the motor wasn't consistent in that regard. And then you go away from the ball, off ball. He might be the worst off ball defender um, in the draft. Like in the first round, I think I think he's. I think he's that. And that's what worries a lot of teams is how much is he going to add to winning basketball? He kind of gets a little tunnel vision at offense at times. He can pass. It's like all these things. He has it. Can it be just more than theoretical? Can he actually apply it in game? Be that kind of guy who he does what his tools allow him to do? Or is he just going to be a guy who plays within himself? Like he has to scale down in a way. Who is your favorite? Maybe you could throw a couple of names out. Who are the players around 31 that you think make the most sense from Detroit, not just from upside, but maybe could even address their need for a three and D wing. I'll, I'll try and get, well, for three and D I, I think you could, there's a few options here. There's a few guys that have the upside to be it. And both of these guys that I'm about to list, I think are very much on the fence of staying in. It's, it's going to be a midnight decision on the deadline next week. And Julian Phillips is one monster defender has that. Three-point percentage is far away. I think that's the three-point shot itself is far, but realistic because he shot 80-something percent at the line on very, very like real quantity. The three-point percentage, though, is like in the 20s. So not ideal. I would also say Jordan Walsh, kind of a similar thing. Uh, not entirely, but I mean, 7-2 wingspan, just length for days. Um, he's He's got the... I think he's got the shooting touch if he wants it. But right now, I think in the combine drills or the scrimmages, it was kind of apparent he doesn't know how to control a shot because every fadeaway he took, turnaround jumper, he would miss completely short. And I just, I don't think he knows how to control his shot. I think part of it might be, and you know, not everyone is the same with this. It doesn't apply to every long shooter, but you know, having that length, it can be hard to really, like he's still 19. He just turned 19 two months ago. It might be hard for him still to grow into his body, learn his body. And that might be hindering a little bit of his shooting. I know also the Arkansas, you know, coaching staff told him different things every single night. They're like, Hey, shoot, don't shoot. Hey, shoot, don't shoot. And like, he was thinking so hard that I think it really hurt him in that regard. So he's somebody who could be that, uh, that mold. None of these guys are high level shooters though, right away, but they are both monsters on defense. So didn't quite answer your question, but those are two candidates. All right. I know we got to get you out of here, Rich. Omari, we got to get you out of here. Just give me a name because I see Killian Hayes in the YouTube chat getting talked about a lot. So let's say they're ready to replace Killian Hayes, Richard. Is there a guy or maybe a couple guards there at 31? I know you have one, but is there a one beyond? No? You're, you're wrong. You're not. What, you're not what happened? Pick. What happened? I, I, I fell in love with someone else. Who is it? I actually really like Marcus Sasser. Yes, I mean, our, yes. Our spaces, our spaces two weeks ago. You know, I, I think he killed it in the combine. I don't. I don't think he played, but like he measured plus six of his no shoes uh, height. He's six seven wingspan, six one without shoes. Whatever. He can shoot the lights out. I mean, I, I really don't remember many misses. He killed it in the shooting drills. The shot seems very real. He's obviously an experienced, intelligent point guard. I, I think he's got the pedigree of uh, of the winning at Houston, just being that floor general for them. I think it scales up. He's going to be a killer backup point guard in the league for a long time. And that's not like he can be a starter at times. It's not a knock, but like he, the best backup point guard in the league is pretty much a starter quality. Like, I think he could be a Tyus Jones type if he really wanted to. I love it. Hey, I also got to throw out our guy, Adam Flagler, and then self-promote here a little bit. I got to interview Adam Flagler, dropped an article on Draft Digest, and I'm going to self-promote. If you guys are listening to this live or if you're listening to it on Tuesday, Monday morning, I'm dropping an article on Draft Digest. I think you guys are really going to like it. It goes beyond basketball. It's a really, really cool story. I think you guys will enjoy. So if you're listening right now, check that out tomorrow morning. If you're listening on Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever this week, go back and check that out at Draft Digest. Richard, you are the man. We appreciate you so much. Let everybody know where they can find you on social media, the podcast, everything you got going on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Pretty much everything runs through Ab Mavstraft on Twitter. 
I put everything out that way. Um, I run community mocks every single week also. Uh, Bryce is on there a lot. And Mari, we got to get you in on that. Uh, and then, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the, every single week till the draft. I mean, I'm doing, you know, I think that means I got five, six more. So excited for it. It was great having you on, Bleed, for the second time. Uh, it was great to meet uh, during the combine last week. It's funny, I met, I met you through Bryce. And then it sounds like I might have met you in person before Bryce did. So. Uh, you know, there we go. But I mean, we we love talking draft with you. you know, obviously, when we're well-respected minds in uh, draft Twitter, and it's been cool to see your profile kind of rise there as well. So, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you. And I'll go ahead and close this out. Uh, big thanks to our audio producer Robin Chan, our executive producer Angela Delgado, our sports editor Kirkland Crawford. Also, big thanks to everybody who joined us uh, for our live broadcast, which makes the pod a lot more fun. Like I'm not going to lie, I enjoy doing that. And we'll talk to you all next week.